Hello, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm your host today, Kristen Carey, and I am excited to be sitting here at my podcasting table with my dear friend, Taylor Carlier. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today on our podcast. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here. This has been a long time coming. Yes, it has. Okay, (laughs) you guys, I met Taylor in December of 2017. I had known her mom. Her mom was involved with Women in the Battle, which is the betrayal trauma group that we lead for um, women. Her dad was involved with Men in the Battle, Mm -hmm. which is the group that Michael has been leading for men wanting to recover from unwanted sexual behavior. Well, a couple of us in Women in the Battle were discussing the need for young adults and older teen daughters to have support because of the trauma they had gone through because of the betrayal in their parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. And so your mom was like, my daughter could really use some help, really use some support. Isn't she nice? (laughs) I know. But aren't you glad that she spoke Um, up and said, I think she would really benefit from something. So in December of 2017, me and Taylor and about three or four other girls Mm -hmm. sat at a table in a lot of awkward silence (laughs) at that first meeting. Did we not? It was, I mean, it was something for sure. But I also think it was a powerful beginning to kind of what's unfolded over the past couple of years as well. Just yeah. having those girls there and the discussions that we had and just kind of breaking through some things that none of us had really ever talked about outside of our families. Do you remember at that first meeting, like what shifted? Because I remember it was very awkward mm-hmm. and you were the most bubbly of them all. Now, part of that is just your personality. Yeah, right? unfortunately, that just comes through. But I was no, also I love it. very just like what is happening (laughs) yeah because at that point how long had you known what had been happening with your parents so the my d-day is kind of messy so I can go back a little bit if you want me to talk about that yeah but before I do I do want to just say that I am so happy to be here and that out of anybody that I could tell the story to publicly for the first time I wanted it to be you Kristen because you have been such an integral part of my healing and my recovery that um, us starting three years ago together this just feels really monumental and I wanted it to be with you so I'm already gonna start crying (laughs) so thank you oh my gosh I'm so honored having me that you would be willing to entrust your heart to and your journey with me um, for those first several years of doing daughters together. And then very quickly, I could see Taylor that you wanted to use your pain to help other people. Yes. And so it has just been a joy, a privilege and an honor to watch you flourish and grow and heal. And then to watch you pour into the other girls, because now you guys, Taylor and another young woman who started in the very beginning with us three years ago, Mm -hmm. they lead that Daughters in the Battle uh, group. They still lead that today. So it's it's I'm just so thankful that you're willing to be honest about your story because most people do not want to share their story publicly. Yeah. Well, I mean, for a lot of really understandable reasons, for sure. Um, But I've just kind of gotten to the point where I really fully believe uh, that the enemy was trying to steal something from my family and from me. And by me doing this, by me coming out and talking about this publicly, I'm taking that back from the enemy. Like I'm I'm partnering with God to say, Mm -hmm. like, my pain is for a purpose that you are not stealing this from me and from my family. And so not to get spiritual too quickly, but that is the truth of it. And I also really believe um, God actually this morning was was reminding me of 
second Corinthians one, three through five, which says praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we Mm -hmm. ourselves receive from God for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. So also our comfort abounds through Christ. And that's really why I want to do this is that like God comforted me. He met me Mm -hmm. in D day in the pain of like that discovery or the years of discovery as it kind of became, um, and comforted me and through you as one of the main outlets and so many other people. And, um, and now I want to be able to do that for other people. So and you are. Thank you. And you, and then now you're taking it to a whole other level, speaking publicly about it here. Yeah. So yeah, go back to that D-Day. And when we talk about D-Day, you guys who are listening, D-Day is when you either discover uh, some truths about the either your spouse or your in this case for you, it's your dad's mm-hmm. um, unwanted sexual behavior or a D-Day could be when they disclose things to you. So those are the two kind of the two big D's are discovery or disclosure. Yeah. So yeah, go back to that and tell me when was your discovery? Yeah. So my original discovery was more around <laughs> when I was 16 years old. So um, in some ways, I've been able to relate to some of the younger daughters more mm-hmm. because that was more my original discovery. I found some that was back in the home computer days. Yeah. So I might be dating myself a little bit, but it's we okay. had a home computer and I was on there. I don't know why I was looking through the history for some reason, maybe trying to find a website I was on or whatnot. And I found some dating websites uh, that weren't really dating websites. They were, you know, websites that were being used to meet up with women. Um, Obviously, I was not on those websites. My mom wasn't on those websites. So the only person that would have been on those websites would be my father. Um, My dad was already, um, I kind of preface this by saying, like, I had a really great relationship with my dad growing up with both of my parents. Um, I'm the youngest of four, but I'm my dad's only child. And so we were really close and um, he was always very present, but anger was a very uh, also present part of our household. Um, My dad was angry a lot. I believed it was because of financial reasons. And then I started finding out from this initial discovery and then years later having things confirmed that there was a lot of other things going on beneath the surface of that anger. And so I found, you know, it wasn't like I lived in a perfect household. I already knew that there was some issues there, but um, I wanted to believe like my dad wasn't this person that I found on this computer for him to be. And I was angry. I mean, I was 16 and all I knew of betrayal at 16 is like you throw a stuff on the front lawn and you change the locks like it was dramatic and it was, you know, black and white. You mean that's what you wanted your mom <laughs> yes. to do? Yes. Yeah. So, so what did you do with that information? Did you go talk to your mom about it or did you keep yes. it to yourself? I took it to my mom <clears throat> and that's what I told her to do because I was, right. you know, I've always been pretty saucy. So I, <laughs> I took it to her and I said, look, throw his stuff on the front lawn, change the locks. You know, this is, you know, a done deal. And and my mom didn't have the same reaction that I had. Um, my Did mom, your mom already know? I have no idea to this day. I think that my mom, I think my mom has known for in different ways over the years. Maybe it was something she was in denial about or didn't necessarily want to acknowledge. My mom is an amazing person and mm-hmm. is so loving and caring to a fault. Um, 
and it's nothing that she doesn't already know or else I wouldn't say it. Uh, she's amazingly empathetic, but that can also turn sometimes into um, her enabling some actions that aren't amazing. Yeah. And so in that scenario, I, I just wanted to be protected by my mom. I wanted her to stand up for herself. I thought more of her um, than I felt like she did of herself. And so I really wanted her to make that dramatic move and be like, we're done. This is, you know, but they did not um, They moved into separate bedrooms. I kind of shut down. So I just wasn't around. I slept at friends houses. I didn't talk. I pretty much iced out my dad for almost two years. So from 16 to when I graduated from high school, I started to I wouldn't I wouldn't say I acted out. I wasn't. A rebellious child but I was you know I started hanging out with guys and just kind of being like well if my dad can do whatever he wants then I can kind of do whatever I want mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say I ever took it to an extreme but I don't think that I was doing things that were honoring to myself or to God either and so I think that yeah in a lot of ways it just was a it was a hard time and yeah. I just wasn't sure why my mom wasn't doing something about the situation yeah how did it impact your faith like how serious was your your personal faith at that point when you ha- mm-hmm. found out and then what how did it this impact it at the time I don't know <laughs> that it, I mean I've I've been a Christian since I was a little girl um I just kind of it didn't really directly affect my faith at the time I just kind of was not that active in my faith anyways like I went to church and Mm -hmm. I did the things I went to a a private Christian school like I was inundated in Christianity uh, but I wasn't necessarily like pursuing hard after God either so it was just kind of both and 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 I think I I think I'm really good. My family kind of taught me to be really good to like live in the denial stage and just kind of sweep things under the rug. And so I did like I just kept going on with my life pursuing, you know, Mm -hmm. to get into college and just kind of focused on what I needed to focus on, hanging out with my friends and having fun and and just staying away from my house where there was a lot of anger and and who knows what was happening, you know. So that was my initial kind of like discovery of things. I started now looking back, I can notice other signs where my dad will leave his wedding ring at home um, a lot. And that was kind of always like a point of contention. Um, there was some weird interactions that I remember as a little girl looking back of like meeting women in public and my dad having odd interactions with them. And there was just a few other key signs. But it, without knowing what I know today, I, I, I never added that up. Yeah. And my dad is a charismatic guy and he is fun loving and super funny and he's amazing in so many ways. And so you don't want to believe things about your dad, especially as a little girl that aren't in alignment with that. Yeah, absolutely. So then fast forward to your last D-Day, which was the far more traumatic one. Yes. (laughs) Not that you have to go into the details, but, um, I mean, you can if you want to, but my, my bigger question is, what was the date for that? Mm-hmm. And then um, kind of tying it to when you really started getting 
getting the right kind of help? Because I know you saw a therapist for a while that really was not able to help you with this. And that's that's a whole other topic, is it not? Yes. <laughs> Just that there's a lot of people who try to seek help for betrayal trauma in their families, whether they're the spouse or the child, and are seeing a therapist who doesn't know, is not equipped in how to handle this. So I guess the, the big question is, how long between when you had your D-Day and when you started getting meaningful help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went through college and did all of that stuff and I just kind of ignored what was happening at home. I just let my parents kind of deal with that and I, you know, would see them on breaks or whatever and just kind of like made it through that time. But even in college, I was like, something's not right and I need to find a counselor. Like I just knew that in college, but I was so focused on getting my degree and what I was doing there that I, again, just put that on the back burner. And so you know, getting out of college probably about a year after I was like, I need to find a counselor. So I went to a local church here in Indianapolis that has counseling services, which is amazing. I just didn't have any money at the time. And it was a church that allowed you to pay like $5 or $10 or like, it was like very cheap sliding scale. And they put me with like an intern. So it was not an amazing situation for me because this intern didn't know what to do with me. Right. It was just a little too complicated for an intern. Um, Nothing wrong with her. She just wanted to talk about The Bachelor more than she wanted to talk about my dad's (laughs) potential sexual addiction. (laughs) So um, that was not a great fit for me. Um, And then I went to another counselor for about a year. Um, It was kind of during the time where I was getting a little jaded with God. And Mm. so I purposely picked a counselor that I knew was like faith adjacent, but wasn't necessarily defined herself as a Christian or biblical counselor. I mean, I did that very intentionally because I was just I just kind of was over it. I was like, there's no biblical like solution that I can just slap on this. Like, I don't know what's happening in my family, but something's wrong. And so I started going to her and I got a lot of help from her just in my life. Mm -hmm. But then D-Day happened when I was seeing her. Yeah. And she didn't know what to do with it. Right. And so. So when was the second D-Day? So that happened actually July of 2017. Okay. So just a few months before we met. Yes. Yeah. And I had just come back from my first class at grad school. So I was Mm -hmm. starting this big new thing in my life. But I could tell that things weren't good with my parents at home. And I had known that for about a year prior to this day. And that was because for about a year... A woman that I just now know as a sort of mistress that my dad had, I don't really know their relationship, had been texting me and emailing me almost on a daily basis things about my family that I wasn't aware of. So saying that my dad was a cheater and a liar and that my family wasn't fake and not who we said we were. And I was like, well, I don't know who my family is then. Gosh, how disorienting for you, Taylor. Right. I just was like, I you're telling me things that I'm not aware of so uh so I confronted my parents about that they were still in a lot of denial slash trying to work through their own problems and didn't really want to acknowledge what was happening uh there's kind of a theme in my family in general has been sweeping things under the rug and so I think they thought they could deal with it on their own and maybe just leave me out of it but I was getting pulled into it so at this point your mom sat you down and told you Mm -hmm. what was going on and and so how did you feel when she told you 
Yeah. So she basically sat me down and said, you know, your dad's been cheating for about the entirety of our marriage. So almost 20 some years at that point. And uh, my first thought was my entire childhood is a lie. Yeah. That was the first thought I had. And that's actually the first thought that a lot of daughters have Mm -hmm. that I found out. Um, every good memory I had all of a sudden was tainted with the thought that my dad had, yeah. you know, other things going on. He was living another life in, in some respect. And so um, that was my first thought. And then my second thought was after my mom said that they were going to get a divorce. And that was when well, my mom's uh, quite a bit older than my dad. Uh, she's at a different place in her life. She was almost retired at that point. Or might have actually just retired at that point. And I thought, well, now I'm going to have to take care of my mom. I'm going to have to financially support her. She's going to have to move into my house with me. I'm 25 at the time. Like that just was mind boggling to me. I wasn't in a place in my life to actually be able to do that. And I just felt all sort of responsibility at that point and just wanted to go into protection mode to protect my mom and take care of her. And she was you know, in a lot of ways, not in a great place, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And, and a common thing that happens with daughters that I also was kind of doing was I began parenting her Mm -hmm. and wanting to take care of her and, and, you know, in some ways becoming her surrogate spouse. Yeah. And so were you her confidant, like she would share with you how she was doing. And Yeah. yeah, my mom and I have always been really close. And so naturally, you know, my mom is not just like the happy, fun person she usually is. And so I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? And yeah. then she's telling me things that I didn't want to know. And, right. and I don't fault her. But at the same time, there was, you know, some oversharing sometimes. And yeah. and it was a weird place to be in. Just not, you know, she hadn't gone through this before. I hadn't gone through this before. We didn't know what we were doing. I felt very alone. My mom was already getting some help in Women in the Battle at that point. Yeah. So she knew more of the language than I did, Mm -hmm. but I didn't understand what was going on. And I kind of went into a, I just grieved first. So you were just so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was angry and I was sad. Yes. Those two were probably the main emotions. I, I'm not a crier. So my first emotions usually always anger. Uh, But underneath that, I was just incredibly sad because I lost my childhood in a moment is what it felt like. Yeah. So I spent a long time just crying, like like weeks of just like mm-hmm. uncontrollable crying and and just trying to figure out what I was I was going to do next and and trying to pick up those pieces and um I switched churches at the time because I just felt like I needed to be in a new environment and and stop. I was doing so much leadership in church mm-hmm. that I was only pouring out and nobody was feeding into me and I was like I can't pour out in this anymore like this is this is a part of my life where I'm gonna need someone to pour into me because I can't help anybody else right now yeah that was wise so wise (laughs) it just felt like I had to it was like survival like I need to immediately change churches because I can't do this and and so did this impact your faith or your view of God going through this Yes, I think so. But I think in some ways it strengthened it. Yeah. And so previous to this happening, I was kind of at a crisis of faith before I started going to grad school. I even that summer just I was burnt out on church like I had been leading so much. And I like I said, no one was pouring into me. 
And I just felt like, do I really believe all of these things that I espouse? I don't know. There's all this turmoil happening in my family. I can't put two and two together. I just felt really distant from God. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of felt like starting grad school was a last ditch effort for me. Um, of I was like, well, it, either I'm going to learn things about God and like fall back in love with him or like it's not I don't really care anymore kind of thing. Yeah. And then this happened. <laughs> and this actually pushed you more into the arms of Jesus. Yes, for sure. Mm. And I just think that like that it just was like he was all I, I had. Like yeah. I felt like I lost my parents in that time. Yeah, you I, became the parent. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't have, I couldn't tell my friends. I mean, daughters, right. you can't, like, there. other people don't get it. Like, right. If they haven't been through it. And so, and it's a family secret, which is yes. something that's odd. It's, you know, it's some, sometimes it's like that if your, your parents, like an alcoholic or something. But a lot of times, you know, it's now more common to be like, well, yeah, my parents are dealing with with depression or with whatever it is, it's common to talk about it. Sure. It's not common to talk about sexual addiction outside of your family. It's still hush hush. It's secret. It's not something people want you to talk about. And so I couldn't just go around telling my friends or asking for help. And the friend, the close friends I did talk to about it didn't understand. Yeah. And my counselor at the time, which we kind of mentioned, she didn't specialize in anything like that. And when I even mentioned the word sexual addiction, for the first time, she she said, well, that's not a thing. Right. So I was very confused by all of that. Um, and then I came to the first Daughters in the Battle meeting. Okay, tell me what you felt like. <laughs> that first meeting, Yeah, I'm sure it was a big mess, mix, a big mix yeah. of reactions and feelings. But yeah, I think in that first meeting, my first feeling was I'm not alone. Yeah. And that's many p- women's feeling and yeah. daughters feeling. So what is that relief? Yeah. The emotion of, yeah. behind that is like a, a sense of relief. Yeah. And I just think that because my family had been wrapped up in secrets for so long, it was freedom. Ooh, yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. You know, because it was like I had a place to talk about this. Like mm-hmm. it was still siloed. It was the only place I had to talk about it. Right. Right. But it was a place. Yeah. That I could talk about it. And it was harder for me in some aspects because I was the oldest daughter there. Yes. yes. So I still felt like I had to help these girls while Mm. I was trying to like figure out help. But that's why you were so important to me Mm. is having somebody that had gone before me to be able to say like, you can figure this out. Like there's hope here. There's there's something here for you. So I just think that that was my initial experience with it. But I mean, it's the power of of not feeling alone. 